How are you this morning? Praise God. Guys, believe anything the weatherman's saying? The ushers could help me. Phil just said, let it snow. I'd like him removed from the sanctuary. Please do it roughly. Well, we have preached our way through the Beatitudes, so let's get to Matthew 5 here as we continue through the chapter. The Sermon on the Mount doesn't end with the Beatitudes, but it's chock full of so many powerful things. You know, the red letters in your Bible are the most important words ever spoken. Those are the words of Jesus. And so get to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 is our target verse this morning. I'm going to bless the uh, word this morning, and then I'm going to read that verse to you. And we'll jump into what the Lord has for us. Father, we thank you this morning that we can come to your presence here. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you've been ministering to us as we've worshipped this morning, as we've come to the Lord's table. And, and you've orchestrated all of this to lead up to this moment as we break uh, bread with your word. Holy Spirit, open the word up to us. Let each of us get what the Father has for us this morning. Father, stretch us and... Uh, Straighten out the crooked things in us, and Lord, challenge us, us this morning so that we wouldn't leave here the way we came. Father, we just ask you to forgive us of our sin, and we ask you to make good ground in our heart to receive the word this morning. Give us clean hands and a pure heart by the blood of Jesus. We thank you for that in Jesus' name, and the church said. Amen. Well, just one verse this morning here, verse 13 of chapter 5. This is a continuation of the Sermon on the Mountain, just past the Beatitudes. We, we left off with the persecution. We talked about that. If you didn't hear about how persecution is part of the Christian experience and it's an honor to suffer persecution for righteousness sake, I encourage you to listen to that online. But verse 13 is very simple, yet it is interesting in the comparison and how Jesus uh, is making comparisons here. We're going to talk about salt this morning. Say salt. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, Now close your eyes and just listen to that verse. You are the salt of the earth, But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So here's Jesus making a comparison here using, uh, you know, a description of something that's a common thing, saying you are the salt of the earth. Now, you you might listen to this and right away uh, trying to understand what he means there can be uh, a little bit difficult at first. You really have to dig into verses like this to grab the meaning. Now, how many of you heard that term salty? And really, to be salty is not a good thing. If you, if you say someone's salty, it's, it's not a good thing. Yet, yeah, Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth. You know, and, and that term salty is always used to describe a person who's you know, unusually angry or bitter or volatile or rude. When you say someone's salty, it means they're, they're kind of bitter about life or they're just kind of upset about the way things are going and they have a bad attitude or they're complainers. So here we think of that term, that slang term that we've heard, salty, before. And surely this is not what Jesus means by saying you are the salt of the earth. He's not saying you are salty. 
Some of you are. But that's not what he means here. You know, this may come as a shock to some saints, you know, who apparently were baptized in lemon juice. Being grumpy is not a spiritual gift. Hello? Have you ever met people like that? The longer they're saved, the, 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 the grumpier they get. Like, and I can start to relate to this too a little bit as I get older. You're all looking at me like, you know. But, you know, being salty about life, being, you know, kind of crabby, kind of rude, kind of crusty about things, you know, you get to a place in life where, you know, you just, you know, it's easy to complain. It's easy to, you know, you miss the things that were around when you were young. You know, the generation is different. The clothes are different. The music is different. And you get kind of crabby about life. But there again, that's not what Jesus meant. Jesus doesn't mean that we should, you know, somehow become religious or, or, or prudish or, you know, uh, somehow that we just are wishing things were the way they were to the point where we're missing out on the blessings of today. What he means by being salty is and saying you are the salt of the earth is something much different than people might take at face value. So to understand this, you know, parable here and what Jesus is meaning, we have to really understand the value of salt. Now, to us, in this day and age, salt doesn't seem very valuable, does it? I mean, what do one of those containers of Morton salt cost these days? Cheap stuff, right? They got all kinds of, you know, kosher salt or the, the big, you know, uh, that uh, pink Himalayan salt. Have you ever seen that? Now they got designer salt. You know, and it's supposed to be like thousands of years old, but it has an expiration date on it. How, how, does, how does that work? This, just get that now before you swerve off the road on the way home. So, you know, salt to us is just, you know, an everyday thing. But back in the time when Jesus was speaking, salt was a little more important than it is to us today. Now, salt has long been prized in history as a, as a valuable substance. Today, it's reportedly there are more than 14,000 known uses for salt. Not only does the human body need salt to function properly, but salt is also utilized from everything from producing chemicals to de-icing the roads. The snow's coming. If the salt gets on the road, the ice stays off the road. Good thing, right? Uh, for centuries, uh, until salt deposits were discovered throughout the world, the extracting methods were difficult, so salt was scarce, and it made it very valuable. In ancient society, roads and cities developed as a result of the salt trade. Think about that. They, they would have roads and cities. Why? Because salt was such a, an important commodity. It was so rare. It was, it was so coveted that they would trade from place to place, and cities sprang up as a result of that. The expression to be worth one's salt means you're competent and deserve your earnings. It's rooted in ancient Rome. Soldiers were sometimes paid in salt or given a salt allowance so they would have funds to purchase salt. The word salary is derived from the Latin salarium, which originally refers to a soldier's salt allowance in Rome. So there again, salt was a very precious thing at the time when Jesus was saying this. To us, it's just, you know, cheap stuff, and you, you sprinkle it on your food, and, and it makes things taste good, and, and it gets your blood pressure higher, so the doctor freaks out. But it was so important at that time. Now, we have to understand, Jesus is talking about something important here. Being salty in a spiritually healthy sense means maintaining our spiritual edge. 
this is the pivot point here that you've got to get. This is the linchpin of the message. Being salty in a spiritual, healthy sense means maintaining our spiritual edge. What Jesus is saying is here that we have to maintain our spiritual edge. How many understand that there are times where spiritually we could be on point, we could be sharp, we could be moving with the Holy Spirit, we could be walking in the Spirit, and sometimes we are totally out in left field. Why is that? Somehow, some way, the distractions of life have pulled us off the course and we've lost our spiritual edge. Now, when you see someone lose their spiritual edge, it's usually easier for us to pick it out on them than to see it for ourselves. When we've gone off course, when we've lost our edge, when we've become lukewarm, as it were, you know, it's hard for us to understand that it's happening to us at times. Jesus uses the positive attributes of salt to describe the effects that his church and his children should have on the world around us. You know we're supposed to do more than make ourselves happy and comfortable and, and, and get all the things we want out of life. We are supposed to impact the world around us. The church and the children of God are to impact the world. Now listen to the verse again. You are the salt of the earth. So the implications there, you're something precious. You're something valuable. You're something that should impact the world around you. How do you do that? By maintaining your spiritual edge. Here, I want to give you three attributes of salt that will help us maintain our spiritual edge. This is just point one. But listen to this. The first thing you need to know about salt is it is a preservative. There again, we have refrigerators, we have MSG, we have all of these things that, you know, shelf life of products now is forever. I mean, you, you have hydrogenated oil that can last 50 years on the shelf, which I don't know why we put in our bodies. It causes all kinds of health problems. But think about it. You know, this is not a big deal to us, but back in the day, salt was important because it preserved food. If you killed an animal, if you, if you had a piece of meat, that meat would quickly spoil if you didn't have refrigeration. What was the answer? You had to salt it. You had to preserve it. It keeps perishable things from becoming rotten. And that was important back then. Not as important to us now, but the implication is still there. The world that we live in is in a state of progressive moral rottenness. It, oh, it's going to get better, Pastor. I'm an optimist. The glass is half full. Listen, the glass is smashed. There is no more glass. The sin nature of man without Jesus Christ, there is no hope. Okay, the world is in a state, and I said, notice the word choice phraseology there. It's progressive. It's, it's not getting better. It's getting worse. The only answer is Jesus. So the world without Jesus will progressively spiral downward into a state of moral rottenness. Why? Because that is the sin nature of man, unchecked, will continue to unravel and devolve and just become worse. And you can see it in the world around us. The, the people are getting more vitriolic. They're more, there's more darkness. It seems like sin is abounding in our generation. What is that? It's the progressive moral rottenness because of man's sin nature and the fact that we have multitudes of people who refuse to check it, the, the, that we see the society and the generation becoming more and more rotten. Now, the natural moral rot of this world is offset by one thing and one thing only, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you about the work of the Holy Spirit 
in our lives and in the church, but it is the one thing that offsets the, the moral rottenness of this world. It has a preserving nature. God's Holy Spirit displayed again in his children and in his church. That's where we see the Holy Spirit work, in the church of Jesus Christ, amen? That's why, Pastor Mike, we need a move of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to stop trying to restrain the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to restrain sin. Come on, church. Come on, first service. It's not snowing yet. Don't faint on me yet. But we need the Holy Ghost to move. Why? Because he's the only thing that checks the moral rot. He's the only thing that stops the downward spiral of sin. And he offsets everything that the enemy wants to do in the world. Now, the presence of the Holy Spirit is a restrainer. Say that word, restrainer. He restrains the works of darkness. And he's in the church and he's in all of us. Every single one of us who's born again is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And that restrains evil in the earth. Now, I want you to listen to a very important verse, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 through 7. If you're taking notes this morning, and I encourage you to, write this verse down, and I encourage you to spend some time meditating on it. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 7. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come. What is he talking about? The end and the return of Christ. It will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Talking about a great falling away. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. Talking about the Antichrist. The son of destruction. Listen to verse 4. Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God, little g, or object of worship. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So this verse is talking about the Antichrist and how he's going to come and how he's going to claim to be God and that there's going to be a great falling away first. Now listen to verse 5. Do you not remember that while I was still living with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. The restrainer of the Holy Spirit in you and I and in the church of Jesus Christ restrains the works of darkness in the earth right now. And understand something, as dark as it is and as sinful as it is and how rebellious our generation is, it's nothing compared to the way it's going to be when the Holy Spirit is removed. Now, how is the Holy Spirit removed from the earth? When the restrainer is removed is when the church of Jesus Christ is caught away in the rapture and all at once taken up into heaven. Can you imagine the moral chaos that will ensue when the only thing holding back the forces of darkness is removed from the earth in one fell swoop? Wow. Come on, if this doesn't, if this doesn't get your spiritual taste buds going, I don't know, you need Holy Ghost jumper cables. But I'm, I'm telling you, the only thing holding back darkness right now is the Holy Ghost. And the only thing holding it back is the church of Jesus Christ that's filled, and you and I who are filled with the Holy Spirit. So salt is a preservative, and it, and, it, and it stops the downward spiral of sin, and it, it stops the progressive of the moral rot around us, and the Holy Spirit is restraining such things. So understand, you and I are to be the preservative in everyone and everything around us that pushes light into the darkness. Wow. Salt is important. Number two, the second attribute of salt that we need, to, we need to think about. Salt is a flavor enhancer. How, how many, I mean, think about French fries without salt. 
you know, that's just wrong. I think that's illegal in some states. Down south, I think it's illegal. You, you can get arrested for that. But salt makes everything taste better. You know, it's just amazing how, uh, you know, I love a good hamburger once in a while. And if you have a hamburger that's bland for some reason, I don't know what, you know, what they did to those poor cows, but just putting a little bit of salt on it. Like I've had a piece of steak or a piece of burger that just, I mean, had no taste and just a little bit of salt, boom, it pops and it's just unbelievable. Well, I'm, I'm going to the diner now. I'm just, you know what I mean? It, just a little bit of salt. Why? Because it's a flavor enhancer. And, you know, salt is in everything. It's in all our food. We, it, it's something that, you know, we get probably way too much of. But the point about it is, is it can take something that's bland and make it delicious. I hope you're getting the spiritual implications here. Life can be really hard. Life can be really bland for a lot of people. Come on, there's people out there that you rub shoulders with every day that they're just going through this meaningless existence. And, and life is sad for them and it's hard for them and they don't know Jesus. Come on, church, how hard is it for us who do know Jesus? I mean, life is hard enough on us. Could you imagine going through life without Jesus? And how hard it is, you know, well, just think positive or have hope. Have hope in what? Without Jesus, there is no hope. Without Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sins. There's no transformation of character. There's no uh, eternal blessing at the finish line of life. Many people live in this bland, monotonous, depressing existence and some of us have been saved for so long that we forget what it's like to live like that. And we've lost our compassion for people. God has always intended for his church and his children to help people find genuine spiritual fulfillment. That's our job. Oh, I thought my job was just to make myself comfortable and get all the stuff I want and, and, and have everything in my life just so, so that I'm happy. No, that's not our job. In fact, if that's what we're about, the Bible says if we, if we seek to find our life, we're going to lose it. But if we'll lose our life for his sake and let, you know, I'm preaching to me now as much as I'm preaching to you to let all the things go that in the kingdom of Rick that I think are so important. Come on, there's some days where, you know, well, this isn't right and that isn't right and my stress level's off the chart. Oh. And God's waiting for us to just let go. He's waiting for us to let go of it all and to let us use him, encourage someone else who's, who's much worse off than we are. You and I are saved. Our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. Heaven is our eternal destiny. We have the Holy Spirit in us. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Come on, you and I are called of God. We, we're, we know his presence. We walk in his goodness and in his mercy. And God wants us to be so thankful for that that we would be willing to lay down our lives to be an encouragement to someone else. Now, I know this is not the kind of preaching, you know, that comes with skinny jeans and a, and a retarded haircut and fills churches. Yeah, I just said it. That's why there's empty seats, but it's the truth anyhow. <laughs> What's going on in the church? I hope you got that on CD. 
Life's hard for people. They, they don't need skinny jeans. They don't need hip, you know, pastors who seem like, you know, they're all hip and, and, and uh, they just need Christians who are broken and empty of themselves and willing to reach out, willing to listen, willing to love. And instead of, I mean, instead of all wrapped up in my persona and me on a pedestal and look at me and, and put the spotlight on me. <laughs> when are we going to grow up? God help us. We're supposed to be the flavor enhancer of this bland world. God intended for the church to be the, the conduit to bring life to the hurting, to take people who are in a bland and meaningless existence and introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ who will fill them and thrill them every day of their life and for eternity. Amen. Salt is a preservative. It stops the moral rottenness. Salt is a flavor enhancer. It takes a bland, empty life and turns it into something that's just delicious. Number three, salt promotes water retention. You know, when you have too much salt in you, you bloat. Yep. <laughs> but, I, you know, I don't know from a physiological perspective or if, if a doctor would yell at me, but I'd rather be bloated than dry. You ever see when you have too much salt, man? You went to the Red Rooster. You had, you had French fries with rock salt on them, man, right? Then you, you put your hand on your skin, and it's just like you can see your fingerprints for four days. And that's funny. I don't care who you are. <laughs> but salt promotes water retention. It keeps the body from dehydrating. Our military used to give salt pills to our soldiers to prevent electrolyte imbalances or promote water retention or even stimulate thirst so they would drink. Now, spiritual dehydration is a dangerous condition. Why? Because dry Christians are, are in a dangerous condition. Have you ever met a dry Christian? <laughs> Just by your response, I could see you'd rather have a bloated Christian yourself. <laughs> But dry Christians that are just, you know, they're again, they're crabby, they're crusted up, they're, there's no life in them, there's no encouragement in them, they're, they've become more religious rule keepers than those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And they need some of those spiritual salt pills to get them to rehydrate themselves and retain some of the, the flow of God's presence. Spiritual dehydration comes as the result of lukewarm living. See, this is why the Bible warns us against becoming lukewarm. Why? Because when we become lukewarm, we stop taking in the flow of God's presence and we become spiritually dry. A very dry Christian repels people rather than attracts them. We are supposed to be spiritually attractive. Did you ever get around someone who is spiritually attractive? You just couldn't be with them enough. Yet if you get someone who, I mean, there are people that, you know, they just repel others. And maybe you've seen them in churches or maybe you see them in the office. I mean, they can part a crowd and not like Jesus. They just, like, more like a skunk. They can part a crowd, you know, just... <laughs> But you and I are supposed to be spiritually attractive. How can we be? We have to be spiritually hydrated so that the flow of what God's brought into us can flow out of us and touch those around us. 
The great preacher Charles Spurgeon tells this story about a heavy wagon that was being dragged along a country road by a team of oxen. The axles were groaning and creaking terribly, making a big racket. When the oxen heard all the commotion, they addressed the wheels and said, hey, why are you making so much noise? We're doing all the hard work here. We should be the ones crying out. Isn't it most often that Christians who are dry, who grumble and complain, first in our churches seem to be those who do the least work? The gift of grumbling is largely dispensed among those who have no other talents, said Spurgeon, or who keep what they have wrapped in a small napkin. Remember, if you stay dry, you could die. You and I need to stay spiritually hydrated. How do we do that? Listen, we need to take long drinks from the word of God. <laughs> we need to be in the presence of God. That's why church attendance is so important. Not so, you know, we can write down the numbers and who is here and like, you know, how are you doing and stuff. And oh, you made it four times in a month. You get a little gold star for your refrigerator. Attendance in church is important because it stimulates spiritual growth. Listen, if you're not here, if you're not drinking at the well, if you're not under the spout where the glory pours out, you're gonna get dry. I don't care who you are. You know, if, I, if, if once a year somebody at gunpoint forces me to go on vacation and I miss church, I feel weird. Spiritually dry Christians, they come as the result of lukewarm living. And because of their dryness, they have a negative effect on others around them. God help us to understand the importance of salt, that it's a preservative, that it stops the moral rot, that it's a flavor enhancer. It, it takes people who are in bland lifestyles and brings them to the excitement of having a relationship with Jesus Christ, that it promotes water retention and keeps us from becoming sp spiritually dry, that we would lose our spiritual attractiveness and we would no longer make an impact in the darkness. Now the verse continues here. That was just the first little section uh, where it said, you are the salt of the earth. Okay, now we understand the value of salt. We understand some of the implications of what Jesus was saying. I, I tried to hit the main ones. There's more, but it continues. It says, but if the salt has become tasteless, or some translations say lost its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Let's take a look at what's left here in verse 13. Now our spiritual edge comes as a result of the healthy use of salt in our lives to be, we talked about that, but Jesus warns that we can become spiritually dull. Look what it says. You know, our spiritual edge must be protected. Why? Because how, when, when we get spiritually dull, that is a hard condition to reverse. We're going to look at that in just a second here. But think about this. Anything that has an edge on it needs to have that edge maintained. The most frustrating thing is working with a dull tool. You know, anybody who's worked with tools before, if you've got a circular saw with a, with a blade that's eaten up, I mean, you're, you're pushing that saw. You've got a chisel that's dull. You know, I like to do woodwork sometimes. You get a nice sharp chisel. I mean, you hit that thing and you get a nice curl of wood out. It, it's, it's a beautiful thing. But if you have dull tools, frustrating. And you know what? A dull tool, when, when I was coming up and learning carpentry and working with some carpenters, uh, my father would always tell me, a dull tool is the most dangerous tool. 
So anything that has an edge needs to be protected, needs to be maintained. And it's the same thing for our spirituality. I remember one time in my garage, you know, clearing some property and doing some logging. I had a machete and my oldest son found that machete. And he thought it would be fun to swing that machete at everything that machete shouldn't be swung at. Metal pipes and you know, pieces of iron. When, when, I, when I found my machete, now I got to say, I probably sewed some of this wrecking my father's tools, but that machete was so dull that the, the blade was curled and there were divots missing out of it. I had to grind that thing and sharpen that thing and hide it, right? I'll never forget the time I'm in my house and, and I had these beautiful edges on my garage that we made with a bender. We took a break and we made aluminum edges, beautiful. And I hear outside, boom, 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 boom. So I'm like, okay, what's going on? So I go out there and my son Austin's got a baseball bat and he's hitting the edge of the garage. Why? Why? And I'm like, pissed. I'm like, what are you doing? I don't know. The edge on that thing, Phil, was so destroyed. I, I still have to look at it today. Anything that has an edge needs to be protected. Your spiritual edge needs to be protected from Riley and Austin. The little foxes. Jesus warns of the danger of becoming spiritually dull when he says when salt has lost its saltiness. A believer with no preserving effect on others, a, a believer that has no seasoning effect on others, a believer who is so spiritually dry that they repel rather than attract the lost is in trouble. Why? Because that's a very, very hard condition to reverse. It takes a lot of work, a lot of grinding, a lot of sharpening, and it's a major overhaul. It says here, how can it be made salty again? Basically saying it's a hard thing to do. We've got to be careful not to lose our edge in such a way that it takes major overhaul to get us back into shape. God asked Ezekiel in chapter 37 of the book that bears his name, his thoughts about reversing such a condition when he said to the prophet, can these dry bones live? Remember that? What was God talking about? He said, these things are so dull, so dry, so brittle. They've lost their edge to such a point that I have to ask the question, Ezekiel, do you have the faith to believe that these dry bones can live? that I can rain on them life again, that I can bring them out of a state of brittleness into suppleness and to wrap them once again with flesh and sinew and make them come to life? Did you ever look at a skeleton and think, you know, well, let me pray for him because, you know, maybe... <laughs> Everything in our heads is it's way too late. It's past the point of no return. Becoming spiritually dull is a dangerous condition because it's a hard condition to reverse. You know, the wise learn not to get dull. Wise people learn not to lose their edge. You know, and wise people learn that there are certain lines they should never cross. Any wise people here? Don't raise your hand. Those were the proud people. Put your hands down. <laughs> I am the wisest of the wise. Up. Don't cross certain lines, saints. Certain lines shouldn't be crossed. You know the best way to lose 100 pounds? Never gain 100 pounds. 
You know the best way to quit smoking? Don't start smoking. You know the best way to reverse alcoholism? Don't drink excessively. Hello? You know the best way to stop doing drugs? Don't ever start doing drugs. I can go on and on. You get the point here. There's certain lines we shouldn't cross. There's certain lines. It's reckless. It's dangerous. You might push yourself past the place where, you know, it's hard to come back. And Jesus says, you know, if salt has lost its saltiness, you know, if, if the spiritual edge is so gone, that is a hard condition to reverse. So don't cross the line to begin with. If we find ourselves in a condition of being spiritually dull, we should immediately repent. Say immediately. Immediately. If we find ourselves in a condition of being spiritually dull, we should immediately repent. You've got to do it instantly. Why? Because for every second you don't, the condition becomes more permanent. We should repent and then do what Jesus told the church of Ephesus to do in the book of Revelation. Revelation 2.5, this is what Jesus' counsel to the church of Ephesus who had lost their first love. This is what he says, remember therefore where you have fallen from and repent and do your first works or else I will come unto you quickly and remove your candlestick out of the place except you repent. See, nobody likes to listen to the words of Jesus when they're like this. We like the happy, clappy, goosebumps, grace, woo! Get in the Holy Ghost hot tub, it's all good. Yeah, it's, it's warm, it's easy, it takes no effort. But these are the words of Jesus. You want to argue with them? Jesus, that's not very politically correct. You're going to offend some people. I don't think he cares. He's more concerned about people not stumbling into hell for eternity, and he wants to tell them the truth. If you've lost your spiritual edge, if I've lost my spiritual edge, I've got to repent quickly. Time is of the essence. I've got to do what Jesus recommended to the church of Ephesus who had lost their first love. They weren't in love with Jesus anymore. They were doing religious works and they were coming to church and they were still saying they were Christians, but they were in love with other things besides Jesus. He says, repent and do your first works again. You know, when he says, or I'll come quickly and remove your candlestick, whoa! Jesus, don't you know the doctrine, once saved, always saved? Guess he doesn't know that one. Do you believe in eternal security? I absolutely do. He can keep all of us if we'll stay close to him. Do your first works. What does that mean? All the things you did when you first got saved, being in church, being in the word, being in prayer, being in fellowship, being in ministry, hello, If those things are beginning to slip away from your life, beware. It's serious. It could be time to slam the brakes of repentance on and get recalibrated. Now, what happens if we've lost our spiritual edge and we won't repent or we don't repent? Well, the text alludes to what happens there and we need to take a look at it. The the text suggests something to us that is spiritually jarring. As I study this and read it, uh, it, it's difficult for me to even to process, but he says, you know, how can it be made salty again? So you lose your edge and it's a hard condition to reverse. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Realizing this metaphor here, he's talking about people. 
He's talking about souls. He's talking about, uh, you know, people who, you know, say they're Christians. And look what he's saying here. It, it can be no longer good for anything. Wow. Could, maybe someone has said to you before, and I hope they never did, but maybe someone has said to you, you're not good for anything. You're good for nothing. Why can't you be like so-and-so who's worth this or that? You're not good for anything. Now it's quiet. Here's God saying that you can get into a spiritual condition where you are no longer any good to the body of Christ. Where you become so spiritually dead that now you're just taking up space in the house of God. Hey, don't get mad at me. I'm your friend. I'm just telling you what's written down here, right? But you know, you won't hear this at many places in the happy, clappy, skinny jeans and faux hawk church, you know. All dogs go to heaven. Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. I don't like it either, but I don't want to go there. He says, it's no longer good for anything. A person who claims to be a Christian and has no joy, no anointing, no passion, no fruit, and no spiritual power or influence becomes two things, and the text tells us. They become useless to the church, and they become despised by the world. Look what it says. They are no longer good for anything, what? Except to be thrown out and then trampled underfoot by man. Let's just take a look at these two things as I bring it in for landing. The modern church is loaded with those who, you know, show up and, and come occasionally, but their attendance is on a decline, their volunteerism is on a decline, they do no ministry, they produce no fruit, yet they're in the church for what it can do for them. That's the wrong attitude. And I thank God that we don't have that here to the degree where it's alarming, but I see saints coming in, getting involved, serving, using their spiritual gifts, producing fruit. We give altar calls, people get saved. Come on, it's a good place to get excited. You look like you might pass out on me. This is not an indictment. I see so many of you using your gifts and producing fruit, hallelujah. But the text says what the text says. And it's saying you can come into a condition where you stop doing those things. And we've all met people who were fired up for God and they loved God, yet somehow the things of this world pulled them away and now they have no joy. They have no anointing. They have no passion. Their seed is empty. And they no longer produce fruit. You say, why do we have to talk about this? Because that's the enemy's plan for each of us. And if we're ignorant of his devices, he just might get away with it in our lives. When we drift away from the shepherd, the wolves are watching. Wow. The modern church is loaded with consumer Christians, not saints that serve anymore. So look what the text says. It's good for nothing except to be thrown out. Yeah, that's right, pastor. Let's throw them out, right? You got the right heart when you're saying no. The church shouldn't shoot its wounded. The church shouldn't, you know, become, you know, so uh, judgmental that when we see a brother or sister struggle, we say, okay, you're, you're out. You know, some churches practice excommunication. <laughs> what a load of nonsense that is. There are times in scripture where the Bible says to disassociate and other these things, but to practice that as some sort of, you know, well, let's just, you know, pick the people out and throw them out and throw them to the wall. And I just don't think it's the right heart. 
Now, there's some people who come into the house of God with the wrong motives and they're wolves in sheep clothing. And you better believe as a shepherd, I've thrown some people out over the years. <laughs> you, 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 probably, you probably don't know this about me, but, you know, I, I have teeth. <laughs> and when it comes to protecting sheep, you can ask Pastor Mike, you know, I don't play. I've told some people, if you come back, the state troopers will be here to escort you back to your car. You should have seen their faces. I should have took a picture. It was great. Because why? I won't let wolves among the sheep. Because as a shepherd, I'm supposed to protect. But you know what? When, when the text is saying here that the, there are people that just become so depleted that they're no use to the body of Christ anymore, and they're, they're good for nothing. Wow, that stings, but they're good for nothing except to be thrown out. Jesus is saying that they've become so useless to the kingdom of God that, you know, the, the only thing to do is, is to, you know, let them be taken out. And if they leave and if they go to, to the pig pen or wherever, we pray that the Lord gets a hold to them and draws them back in. But the church is not in the business of throwing people out. We work with people. We help people. We confront them. We help them to get unstuck. Come on. You're just looking at me like you're scared. I should start throwing some people out. We don't need to throw people out because those people whose hearts get that hard eventually leave on their own. I've seen it for decades, people just wither away. They stop being involved. They stop being in ministry. They stop producing fruit. Then they get critical. Then they start complaining. Then nothing's good enough. And before you know it, their seed is empty. And it's a sad slide to watch as a shepherd. And we try everything we can to, to arrest them and to, and to stop the backslide and, and, and to get them to repent. But if they won't, they'll eventually leave. Why? Because you, if you're not connected and you're not passionate and you're not excited about the kingdom of God, it's really hard to sit here and listen to preaching like this and say, well, I'm just going to be a spectator. Sometimes the pig pen is the best place for us to wind up. Remember the prodigal son? You say, well, you know, if they, you know, if they leave, you should chase them. The prodigal father never chased the prodigal son. He waited for him at home. You see, I learned a long time ago as a shepherd, there is a big difference between a lost sheep and a prodigal. A lost sheep could just be confused. You chase lost sheep. You leave the 99 to get the one. But prodigals, you don't chase into the pig pen. Go chase them, pastor. Go chase them. Don't you see what's happening? Jesus talked to the rich young ruler. He told him, do X, Y, and Z. The kid turned around and left. Jesus didn't chase him. Sometimes people need to go out and realize, you know, what they've become and how the world has nothing to offer and then to fall in love with Jesus again and to run home to the Father. We pray for that to happen. But God help us if we allow people around us to get in such a condition that they have become so disconnected and spiritually useless to the kingdom of God that th there's nothing left for them but to be thrown out in the hopes that the harshness of the world wakes them back up and brings them running back to Jesus. We've got to watch out for each other. We've got to confront one another when we see sin. Hey, what are you doing? Why are you moving in with your boyfriend, with your girlfriend? Hey, what are you doing? What are you out there in bars getting drunk? Hey, what are you doing? Why are you getting high? Don't you know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? Wow. God help us. 
that the people around us or even ourselves become so useless that there's no recourse but to have us thrown out to hope that we would wake up. You know what? And people that find themselves in this condition, not only do they become of no use to the kingdom of God, but they, they become despised by the world. Listen to this. It says they are, they are no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Think about that. The salt that's lost its saltiness. What do you do? You throw it out in the street and people walk over it. Why? Because it's worth nothing. They have no respect for it. I want to close with this. The world despises worthless religion. And here's why. They despise those who claim to be spiritually connected and upon investigation, they're found just to be religious rule keepers. The world despises that. Why? Because they recognize the worthlessness of spiritually religious people. And deep down inside, the lost are looking for truth. And when they investigate someone who says they're connected to God and they find out that it's yet another counterfeit, they despise it. That's why the world has no respect for religious institutions. But for blood-bought, born-again, spirit-filled Christians who are walking in victory in the power of God, who are filled with the Holy Ghost, who have passion, who have a testimony, who have a love for Jesus, who worship like they're alive. The world's attracted to people like that. <laughs> Be those kind of people. Be the salt of the earth. The world despises a spiritual counterfeit because they've seen it all before and it has no power, no deliverance. It offers them no hope. Those who become so disconnected from the things of God that they become spiritually useless to the kingdom of God uh, have no recourse but to go to the pig pen and hope that it wakes them up. We need to protect our spiritual edge. How's your spiritual edge today? Are you sharp? Are you dull? Are you so worn out that you have no effect at cutting away the light from the darkness? Salt is a valuable thing. It's a preservative. It's something that allows blandness to become flavorful. It promotes the flow of spiritual things. And Jesus intended for us to be the salt of the earth. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you this morning for this verse 13, that becomes a spiritual wake-up call to each and every one of us to consider the state of our souls. Father, and I don't think there's anyone, including me, that could look at the condition of our hearts and our lives and say, there's not room for improvement. But God, where we've become spiritually dull, spiritually apathetic, where we used to serve, we used to minister, we used to care, we used to give 100%, but now we don't anymore. Help us, Holy Spirit, to realize we need to repent. I need to repent. Your church needs to repent. Make us sharp again. Make us hot again. Fill us with fire again. Holy Spirit, move in us again. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.